Welcome to Beer Me. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every episode, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world. From brewers to importers, educators, this will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So I'm very excited for our guest today. I have Michelle Wonder on. She has done so many things in beer. I don't think I can list them all, but we're going to give it we're going to give it a whirl here in this handy dandy intro. She is the website marketing and social media director for the Women's Craft Fermentation Alliance. She's the co-founder of the Women's International Beer Summit. She is the founder of Black is Beautiful Homebrew Portland Brewing Project. She is a draft systems tech and social media director for Perfect Pour Services in Portland. She is an avid home brewer. She is a beer judge, Cicerone. I mean, I can't. I can't keep listing things, but you're an all around, <laughs> you are an all around just beer human. And I love it. I'm going to take a sip of beer after yeah. hearing that long list. You should do the same. <laughs> Your mouth probably dried out. I know. Oh man. Oh, that's well, awesome. so you, you, you do all these amazing things. You do all this amazing work in beer. So before we dive into talking about all the wonderful things that you do, can you tell our listeners a little background on you, how you got to where you are now, how you got into beer and, you know, a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and having me excited to speak with all of you all, especially Sarah. Um, and yeah, you know, I, it's a long journey for me to come to beer. I was a beer drinker uh, from, you know, college days on. I grew up in Long Beach, California, went to UC Santa or UC Long Beach, um, and as a result, drank a lot of red stripe beer down nice. there. Um, after I got out of college, I moved over to Ireland for a year and got introduced into, you know, the awesome pub culture and, of course, the beautiful elixir that is Guinness. Mm -hmm. And really, that was the first time I really understood how beer could really be like a cultural touchstone. It could be a community. It could be something that people have in common and can rally around for meaningful human interaction. You know, it was a really cool thing to discover. Then I moved back to the States and was in Colorado for a while. I grew up in a printing family. We had print shops. So I did that for most of my early days of working. Mm -hmm. Did that in Ireland even. Um, did that in Colorado. Worked at a photo lab and was like, you know, photography is really cool. I think I'm going to go to photography school. So I went to Santa Barbara and went to the Brooks Institute of Photography when I was in my early 30s. And that little place. Yeah, you know, <laughs> did that. Moved up to San Francisco after I graduated and did the photography thing, um, along with some printing on the side, because, you know, photography is a hard gig to make. It's like any creative thing. All right. Um, you got to kind of hustle. Uh, and then that brought me up to Portland, Oregon, after I met my my partner in San Francisco, and we wanted to kind of move on and move on to a new part of our lives together. We went up to Portland. All of a sudden there's IBUs, all these different descriptions on the menus. And I was like, okay. So I really got more into the craft beer connoisseur aspect of things. And then as the photography career kind of started to, to wear on me, um, just figured, you know, it's time for a change and was member of a mug club with Hopworks. Uh, urban mm -hmm. brewery here in Portland and we were having our Christmas party 
And I went in and we were talking with the head brewer and he's like, yeah, you know, we're so stoked. We have like three women down in the brew house now. And we're really excited for the different perspective they bring and all that stuff. And this light bulb just went on over my head. So I was just like, I could work in beer. This is what I could do. Um, Cause I was, you know, imminently retiring from photography and I was like, what's mm-hmm. going to be next. And as I started to think about it, I thought, you know, photography and beer making are not that different. They're very creative endeavors within a very strict scientific framework, right? With yeah. film or with photography, you have, you know, light, shutter speed, aperture. Those three things basically are what your tools to create all of the different things you can create in photography. And with beer, you have malt, hops, and yeast. And so I was just like, okay, this is not that far of a stretch. So I just dived in started homebrewing, joined a homebrew club, became a BJCP judge, started working at the local homebrew shop, going through the certification, Cicerone, like Cicerone beer server, certified, excuse me, certified beer server. Mm-hmm. Then I went to Cicerone, the certified routes, got that done and just, yeah, just like, what else can I do? What else can I do? What else can I do? I just fell in love with it so hard. Um, yeah. and I'm so thankful to have to landed in this space. Yeah. It's very motivating and inspiring for me. So as you first got into the beer world, what was, what was the experience like? What was the reaction like? I mean, the reality is you're entering a space that isn't, and hasn't really been built for people that aren't, you know, white dudes. So yeah. like, what has that, what was that experience like kind of entering? I mean, from my personal experience, it was lovely, but that's not the case for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I started at FH Steinbart was my first job. And <clears throat> excuse me, and they're the oldest uh homebrew shop in America, founded in 1921, I like to say, 1921, mm-hmm. I think, or 1919, something like that. Cause we had the hundred year anniversary at some point. I forget now, but yeah, it's it's been around a really long time. Um, which is really, really cool. And it's very well known. And so I felt like, oh, I'm walking into this, you know, kind of holy grail place to get my start, which is really awesome. And, you know, they're very supportive of folks coming in and learning and you behind the counter are supposed to know everything so you could teach the people, you know, so I was kind of learning alongside everyone else. Um, But I was definitely the only woman who worked there. Mm hmm. And that lasted a good amount of time. Then we hired another um, woman, Natasha, a great Cicerone too, great beer, uh, super amazing palate um, as well. But at that point I transitioned over, they have a homebrew department and then they have a commercial draft department. So all of the brewers in town come in to get last minute ingredient parts, you know, ingredients that they might be missing out on. They get parts of their draft systems so you get a lot of interaction with folks that way which is really cool but I was definitely the only one who had ever worked in the draft department and that's that was the spot where I started to see some some sexism rear its head and it was mostly from the customers and it was mm-hmm. mostly from the old school draft dudes who've been wrenching on systems for 50 years and they walk in and they see me and then they see like my coworker who's 12 years younger than me, but you know, we both know our stuff 
and they would call me kiddo sweetie Mm. dear I have gray hair you know (laughs) I was in my mid 40s I'm like "Ah, okay I guess I'm kiddo you're like 80 so I'll give that to you um (laughs) but then they would call my coworker, sir hello sir how are you you know Mm. um and I was just like "Uh uh-huh or they would just look right past me, you know, and I'd be like, can I help you with something? They're like, I don't know. Can you, you know? So there was definitely, you know, a little yeah. bit there. Um, and there was a few times where I heard some customers saying some homophobic stuff. Cause I am a queer person and no one made any mention ever and just kind of head down, just kind of let the guy go on and on. And mm-hmm. I kind of perked up and I didn't confront him, but I, I said something kind of tongue in cheek. I was a little funny, you know, but also just to acknowledge, like, I'm hearing what you're saying, dude. Yeah. And I did get chewed out by someone at the store for that. Um, he Ooh. left a couple months later. So I was like, all right, you're out the door anyway. So I'm not going to worry about this. But I was a little offended by that for sure. Yeah. And then when but I went in- to go work for the draft company, it was I was the only woman there as well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so much respect for for getting into the to the draft world is an incredibly. I mean, for me, just personally, it's an incredibly intimidating portion of the beer world that I am. I'm fascinated by, right? But it's it's yeah, it's an incredibly intimidating portion, and there's definitely a lot of gatekeeping. in that realm, which is, which is interesting because it's not even like the sexiest part of the beer world, right? Like it's not, it's not even like, not even like the, the most alluring it's, it's nuts and bolts and wrenches. And, and for some reason there's, there's gatekeeping involved in that, which, which is getting soaked with nasty beer at 7am when you're in doing a cleaning, you know, and the coupler doesn't quite go right and it sprays all in your face and you know yeah I had plenty of beer showers in my day and it was you know seven in the morning eight in the morning <laughs> yeah it's your your yeah, own little it beer, ain't sexy. Beer it is not sexy <laughs> so you know you you've done so much work in the past couple of years in being founder and co-founder of all these conferences and organizations that aim to empower and make the path into and around beer more accessible uh, for people who previously it wouldn't have been easy, you know, to get into the beer world and to make it something that they could stay in long term. Uh, what, what got you excited to do this kind of work and and start these kinds of organizations and and build this stuff? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, I was very lucky in, you know, like I said, when I first started, okay, I want to get into the beer industry. Everyone said, you got a homebrew, you got a homebrew. There's no better way to understand beer than to start making it yourself. And I immediately got into the Oregon Brew Crew, which is a local homebrew club here in town, old 40 year old, started by the Widmer Brothers um back in the day and one of the women that was in that group is Jen McPoland and I knew her because she is the founder and creator of She Brew which is a female focused beer competition homebrew competition and then also a female commercial female non-binary focused beer festival 
here in Portland. And uh, at the time I started, it had already been going on for maybe four or five years and it was getting very popular. Mm-hmm. And so I was a little starstruck by her, you know, but we quickly became friends and I quickly started working with her to, you know, do some of the organization and the creation of Shebrew. Um, so I got my feet wet doing that. And then, you know, during the pandemic and during the George Floyd murder stuff that all happened and the Black is Beautiful initiative came around, I, you know, I had been around for the Sierra Nevada resilience ale right Mm -hmm. Um, which was great I heard a lot from Sierra Nevada about how a lot of breweries didn't fall through they were supposed to send all the money to Sierra Nevada and the Sierra Nevada was gonna distribute it and it didn't really work as well as they'd hoped it was the first one right yeah black is beautiful came around and I was like this is cool I know a lot of breweries are gonna jump on this but how can homebrewers get involved can you tell the listeners a little bit about what that campaign was. Yeah, Black and Beautiful was started by Marcus Baskerville, who is a Black brewery owner in Texas, Weathered Souls Brewing. And he put out a collaboration beer called Black is Beautiful. It was an imperial stout and made the recipe available, made all of the labels and, and you know uh, marketing materials available. You could sign up as a brewery to participate and you were promising to make this beer, put it out into the market and donate all profits and proceeds to a local organization that was doing social justice work, work with the black community um, in any kind of sector that you felt was honorable that you wanted to support. And a lot of breweries definitely were getting on that. And it was so cool to see. And I, like I said, I was like, how can homebrewers help? What can we do? Yeah. So I reached out to about, you know, I reached out to my homebrew club and I was like, I want to get 12 brewers together and I want us each to, to brew our version of this beer. I'm going to assemble them into 12 packs. I'm going to put up a form on my website. People can choose from like six different nonprofits that I felt were doing good work here in Portland. They promise to donate directly to these organizations. Send me a copy of the receipt. I'll deliver you a 12-pack. So it was basically they got a gift of a 12-pack of homebrew to making this donation. Um, And it went over like gangbusters. Yeah, it was so fun. And, you know, stuck at home during the pandemic, I'm just sitting in front of my computer anyway. So I was just like all in, like (laughs) all my energy and all my focus. (laughs) And it definitely took a lot of work to organize it and make sure, you know, we didn't overpromise 12 packs and just all this stuff that I had to figure out on the fly. Yeah. Uh, but it it did really, really well. And we had 60 12 packs. No, sorry. Excuse me. I had everyone because, you know, we, we're homebrewers. We make five gallons. Yeah. So I said, all right, that's 52 bottles of beer. Let's, I want you to dedicate, you know, 40 bottles to this project. So we had 40 12 packs. And our, yeah. And between the 40 people who received these, they donated over $5,000 to local racial justice, social justice charities in Portland. That's amazing. could not believe it. I mean, there was people donating 500 bucks to get one of these 12 packs. I mean, obviously it wasn't just to get the 12 pack, right? It was to support. 
Um, I mean, who knows? It, These might be the greatest homebrews of all time. We, we don't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I kept a couple for, I kept some for myself of everybody's and they were, I mean, I got the best homebrewers that were my friends that I knew, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, they were excellent. And so we got together and did it again in the fall, in the winter. Mm-hmm. And this time we said, you don't have to do the Imperial Stout. You can do whatever kind of dark beer you want. Um, so you had Belgian quads, you had Schwarz beers, you know, Czech dark lagers, all that. And we raised another five grand. So it was $10,000 total in 80, you know, and I was just like, this feels so great. You know, like I love to make beer. It builds community, but here we can actually use it to drive some real change, real support for folks in a way that makes just takes it to a different level right you're not just making beer to invite all your friends over and to have them gush over how great your beer is um or to win awards at a competition not bemusing any of those those are all great reasons to engage in this hobby that we love yeah but you know going that extra mile was really really cool and so when melissa mccann who's our executive director at the wcfa Mm -hmm. She was the director for Queen of Beer, which is a female homebrew competition in California, oldest in the country. She reached out to Jen McPoland for the Shebrew group and said, listen, you know, we're not gonna be able to have our comps this year. All these women homebrewers are out there. They don't have that sense of connection and community because these are not happening. What can we do? And the Women's International Beer Summit was born out of that. And I was like, heck yeah, I'm in. Like having done all of that, back you know like setting up the system setting up the the website doing all of the organization for the black is beautiful project i felt i could contribute a lot to this and yeah. so off we went and it and it's been amazing when is the next uh summit yeah so we what? had been holding them in the springtime so the mm-hmm. first one was in april 2021 yeah and then we followed up in april 2022 um, April 2022 is when the world was kind of opening back up quite a bit and people were definitely like, we want to get out and go to actual events in the sunshine. So we are a 100% digital event and folks want to keep it that way. We've gotten lots of feedback that they appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so we've bumped it to the late fall now. So our days for 2023 are going to be October 21st and October 22nd. Nice. And you'll keep it and you're going to keep it digital. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's hundred percent digital. We are encouraging folks um, to have little local meetups if they'd like to. And we're kind of supporting that as we can. Um, You know, some breweries are going to have like little watch parties or folks are going to have happy hours, um, you know, maybe on Saturday night so they can talk about what they saw, what they're looking forward to on Sunday, kind of things like that. So we want to encourage people to to get together and rally around the summit, but all of the presentations are online. Nice. I just think from yeah. an accessibility standpoint, that's so huge. Just so exactly. that there's so much. I mean, look, I love craft brewers conferences for my favorite things every year, and it kills me that I have to miss it this year. But I mean, it's expensive. It's hard to get to, and you know, you still got to pay for airfare, hotel. It, you know, oh, yeah. it, it makes it hard to. Absolutely. Yeah. So... We got that lot of feedback on our surveys, our post uh, surveys or post summit surveys, excuse me. 
And folks just said that they're like, listen, I, I can't take the time off. I can't find childcare, right? Like that's something women have to consider a mm-hmm. lot more than men when it comes to these types of things. And we love the international aspect of it, that you can get speakers from all over the world. Um, and all they have to commit to is, you know, an hour in front of their computer screen. It may be a little bit of a weird time zone. But they yeah. don't have to fly and, you know, be put up at hotels and all those kind of things. So, you know, we've had an amazing amount of international support, both as attendees and as speakers. Um, yeah. I think 2022, we had over five continents represented between attendees and speakers. Um, and I kind of joke, like, can we get all seven this year? Hey, Amanda, do you know anyone in our, in Antarctica? And she's like, well, actually, there is a pub there. <laughs> really? I was all I right. Tried it. Yeah. They actually just banned homebrewing on Antarctica. They oh, had shit. been. A few of the few of the camps did have homebrew setups. Um, but for some reason, they recently banned it. I'm not 100% sure what, why. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you live out there, you you got to make your own, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Lord knows what's, you know, how frequently things come in on boats and things like that. But, um, oh, wow, that's wild. Now I'm trying to think yeah. through. I'm like, what in the logistics of homebrewing makes it dangerous? I guess, I mean, you have limited access to healthcare, right? So if, you know, something explodes or something like that there would be i don't know now my yeah, i can't go too I far mean, down this rabbit hole <laughs> right right yeah we'll have to do that one another time Worth looking into yeah so i also want to talk about your work uh, with the women's craft fermentation alliance can you tell our listeners about this organization and the work that it does yeah, absolutely. We uh, essentially, you know, for the first summit, WIBS 2021, we utilized uh, the OBC, which again is the homebrew club that I was a member of here in Oregon, the Oregon Brew Crew. They are a 501c3 entity. Mm-hmm. So we were able to, they partnered with us to allow us to essentially use their 501c3 status to be able to get sponsorships that were, you know, tax deductible and just to have all the benefits of what a nonprofit event can be. You get better pricing on software, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, And so they partnered with us for that. And the first year of the summit, we're like, this is something, this was great. We're going to do this again. We need to start our own nonprofit. And so in September of 2021, the core group that really put together WIBS, which is Melissa McCann, Vicki Olson, the two of them live in Northern California, Sacramento area. And we're associated with Queen of Beer. And then myself, Michelle Wonder, and Crystal Gupta, who is also up here in Portland and is, we're kind of from the Shebrew side of things. Um, so the four of us got together and incorporated as the Women's Craft Fermentation Alliance. And we're the board, et cetera. And so we are hosting, we run the summit, the annual summit. Um, And we're currently working to broaden our scope and do more to, you know, more initiatives, more activities to uh, beyond just the summit. So I'm getting ready to, Melissa and I will actually be talking at HomebrewCon this year. 
Nice. which is very exciting. Yeah. And uh, it's all around this idea I had of getting more women home brewers to enter competitions. You know, I'm a, I'm a home brewer. I like to enter competitions. It's fun. I'm a BJCP judge, of course. So I like to judge at comps as well. And I just noticed how few women participate. And last year at the NHC National Homebrew Conference, you know, they release the names of the winners of the competition that they have, the beer competition. And I very quickly scrolled through the names and I, I couldn't find one that was easily identifiable as a female name. Um, not That doesn't mean that there weren't, you know, trans folks and non-binary folks and, you know, all different kind of facets, but it, it seemed extremely white male. And I was just like, what is up with that? <laughs> like, I know that we make beer just as well. We have the heritage. We're the ones who invented this damn stuff. Yeah. Why are we not, you know, getting up there with the big boys? And so I'm very excited to at HomebrewCon to officially announce our brewing initiative that's going to try to help support, educate, provide funds to assist women in non-binary folks into participating more in homebrew competitions. So what do you think, and this is fascinating to me, what do you think are some of these barriers? Is it that that they just aren't able to enter? Like what is it, what are the barriers that that they face on this? Well, that's what I wondered too, you know, because when I had the idea, like, why aren't women up there on the podiums? And I thought to myself, well, what do you, how do you enter? What do you enter? And really, I'd only ever entered Shebrew. And it was really just because I wanted to show up and represent for women in the hobby. Yeah. Um, and it was a competition I respected, but I hadn't entered any other homebrew competitions at that point. And, you know, just kind of always thought to myself, oh, I'm not really that competitive. And, you know, I don't know what the value truly is. I like to judge it. I don't need to have my beer in there. And so I started thinking about it for myself. And then I reached out to a few female homebrewers I know personally, talked with them a little bit. And I thought, you know, I need to get a broader idea on this. So I put together a survey, actually, um, through our newsletter system, you know, MailChimp, put together a survey, uh, put it out there, sent it out to our email group, sent it out to all the previous folks who had attended WIBS. Um, then I got Denny Khan and Drew Beecham to share it on their page and the Brewlosophy guys shared it and posted it on the, the subreddit homebrewing page, um, mm -hmm. which was against policy and the moderators like, what are you doing? And, I, and they're like, but this is really, this is a really valuable thing. So we're going to let it stay up there. I was like, oh, good. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so there's over a million subscribers on that subreddit it's yeah uh, pretty cool uh and so i've been garnishing all these survey results and i've got in about 250 so far with a mix between women and men so i yeah. wanted to know what everyone thought um and so that's going to be a lot of the data that we're going to talk about at the homebrew con session that we're doing um women in beer competitions and that was what I wanted to know. What are the roadblocks? Like, what do we need to overcome? And so many of them, Sarah, say, I don't think my beer is good enough. And I immediately think you've never tasted beer at a homebrew competition, have you? Wow. <laughs> Man. Once you judge one, you realize, like, you don't she... have to be at the top of the mountain to, to compete, you know? And in fact, oh. if your beer's not up to snuff, it's a really great way to get feedback 
to get information on where it's falling flat, what you could do to make it better. Yeah. So that one, I was just like, no, 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 no. We're going to, we're going to break through that one. And some said it's financial, you know, it's, yeah. it's expensive to enter. Some said there's none locally. It's like, well, you don't have to enter them locally. You can enter them all over the country, but then you have to yeah. ship it with the logistics of that. It's not technically legal to ship a homebrew anywhere in the country. You know, there is a bill that is hoping, we're still hoping to get passed to allow beer to be sent in the USPS. Um, mm-hmm. But wink, wink, that's how most people send it anyways. Uh, <laughs> but some people don't feel good with that, you know, understandable. Or the costs, you know, it's not cheap actually to ship four bottles of beer, well wrapped, well packaged, well insulated, and send it across the country. You know, that can cost yeah. a pretty penny, and someone might not have that thirty-five dollars. So we want them to be able to come to us and say, "I need thirty-five dollars for the shipping." I go, "Here you go." That's awesome. Yeah, man, that so blows my just mind. Knock those down. That blows my mind. That is such a, you know, I'm sure you've heard the statistic where it's like, you know, if a man is 25% qualified for the job, he'll apply, but a woman has to be like 85% or feel that she's 85% qualified. That is like, that is copy paste, the same sentiment. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Whoever is listening out there, if you at all doubt that your beer is not good enough for a homebrew competition, I thoroughly agree that there is plenty of shit and a homebrew competition, and you are probably at least a C plus, if not more. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's always that one beer at the comp that you open it and just gushes over. But then we're, you know, we're beer judges. We're obligated to give it a try and to do our best, even if it's like got a really raging infection or something. We will do our best to still try to pick out some of those base flavors and give you some information. Um, but you know, and Beer judges want to be kind. We really do. We want to encourage people. Um, We're not going to just rip you apart. You know, we're going to give you a pat on the back for all the things you did right. And hopefully just a little bit of direction on some things that you could do better next time. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we've had a a lot of episodes about homebrew on this show. And I think the best part of the community is just how kind everyone is just in general, but especially with feedback um, and how you're able to improve so much because the feedback is so thoughtful. It comes with, it comes with a lot of experience and it, and it comes with a lot of willingness for the person to improve, you know? Absolutely. And you might get that errant score sheet that sounds completely contradictory to everything you know about your beer and you might even think like, did they actually judge my beer? Um, and know that there's some judges out there who aren't the best, but they're going to be extremely few and far between. Yeah. And you just take it all with a grain of salt. You know, like that's another thing in the initiative that I want to talk with women about is setting your expectation of what you what you expect to get out of this. Um, and if you get one, say you put in four beers and you get 12 score sheets and one gives you a really great idea or thought on how you can do something better, that's a win. Yeah. That is a win, you know, in my book. Um, Getting the hardware is nice too. (laughs) (laughs) Never hurts. Well, um, Michelle, thank you so much. I I feel like time has flown. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Um, Listeners, please, please check out uh, 
the Women's International Beer Summit. Uh, once those uh, dates and everything and registration is open, um, I highly recommend it. The uh, organization is really thoughtful in in who you all put forth as speakers, and um, it is a really fantastic uh, event that happens every year. So definitely encourage that. And um, thank you. Yeah. Can I just say one thing real quick on that? Sarah? Please. Yeah. We've actually rebranded this year and okay. we're leaving the term Women's International Beer Summit in the rearview mirror. We are now going to the acronym WIBS, which is kind of the shortcut that we become known as. But so this year it's WIBS 23, a craft fermentation summit. We wanted to open up to beyond just the stricter beer focus. We've always had cider and different things as well. We had a distilled spirits talk last year, but we just <laughs> really wanted to be more inclusive in the name with that. And we also wanted to be more inclusive as far as we're still centering women, non-binary stories, speakers, perspectives, but we really want to open it up to everybody so that everyone feels like they can come. We had lots of men reach out and say, you know, I just didn't feel like it was maybe a space I was supposed to come into and I oh. didn't want to overstep or infringe. Or we would get people that just straight up ask, am I allowed to come? And it's like, absolutely. So we were working hard this year to let everyone know that, no, this is not a space just for. It's a space that focuses on and also gives you tons of amazing information you know, it's like me and the wife always say, why can't a little boy be inspired by Serena Williams, right? Like Serena Williams isn't just a role model for girls who play tennis. She's a role model for everyone who plays tennis. And that's what we feel our speakers are as well. Yeah. Or somebody who happens to be terrible at tennis. I mean, yeah, Absolutely. I, definitely <laughs> more of an inspiration. It's like, God damn, you're good. Yeah. Shout out. Shout out to uh to the Williams sisters. Um, <laughs> I love it. But thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I really appreciate the time. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. And hopefully we'll have you back again soon. Uh, thank you all for listening in. This has been another episode of Beer Me Radio. Catch us wherever you get your podcasts. Please like, subscribe, give all the stars. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, reach out at Beer Me Radio at Instagram or Beer Me Radio at gmail.com. We are now part of the All About Beer family. We're incredibly excited to be. So please check out some of the other podcasts offered by All About Beer. There is some really phenomenal stuff coming out in the coming weeks. Anyways, we will catch you all next time. Cheers. Cheers. See ya.